faithful to him, and uh, it's my privilege to um, just spend some time with you this morning as I continue in this series that we're looking at in uh, Revelation chapter 6. Um, I've been walking you through Revelation, and uh, just let you know that Revelation starts um, by John addressing the people of his day and um, assuring them that this whole letter, or this whole book, is all about providing comfort. Comfort for people as they deal with life all around. And the fact of the matter is, is that every day, every year, we are coming closer to the day when Jesus Christ will come again. The time when the world as you and I know it is going to end. That's a reality. But I wonder, is that something that you often think about? I know Francois just a little while ago prayed about it. But that's something that you think about. I mean, we live in a world that is ravaged today with catastrophic floods. We see raging fires all around us in our world, on our continent and in other continents. We see uh, brutal outbreaks of war, and we see that especially today in the war that has um, erupted into Ukraine and most likely in the next near future it will be declared on Ukraine. We see an ever-changing moral culture in our world, here in Australia and throughout all places of our world. And perhaps you have thought, as someone admitted to me some time ago, and they asked me, they said, you know, with, with all that is happening in the world today, uh, I just long for the day when Jesus Christ will return. I just long for that day when all of this stuff that is happening in our world will come to an end. So today we turn in our study of the book of Revelation to chapter 6. In this passage we meet Jesus, the Lamb of God, and he's beginning to open the seven seals. And in chapter 6 we'll see six of those seals being opened. Now here we begin to have a glimpse of what is going to happen in the final days of world history. Here we're going to have described the kind of pattern that's going to um, follow, that God's going to follow over the, the next number of years or decades until the end of the world. You and I can expect all kinds of things to happen in our world. The book of Revelation opens that up to us and lets us know what those things are so that we may understand and believe that God is moving the entire world to a final destiny. And John is invited in verse 1 of chapter 6 to come. To come and see what is going to take place. And beginning in chapter 16 and, and then working through, or in chapter 6 and working through chapter 16, John is told what is going to happen. He gets a description of what God's plan is going to be like. And so I also invite you to come today. I invite you to look and to see, to see what John saw. See what is going to happen before the second coming of Christ between now 
and the end of the world. I invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Revelation 6. Perhaps you have a paper copy or you have um, you know, it on your app. I was going to read the entirety of chapter 6 and just listen to what John saw, and then we'll unpack it together. Revelation 6. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice of thunder, Come! And I looked, and there before me was a white horse. His rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A liter of wheat for a day's wages, and three liters of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to slay by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been completed. And I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair, and the whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to the earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up at every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come. And who can stand. Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. You are the rock that we want to build our lives on. And so we pray that as we look at these verses, allow us to understand them, apply them to our hearts and lives, and be ever prepared for what lies ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. As John looks... What does he see? He sees four horses, each with a rider. A white horse, a red horse, a black horse, and a gray or pale horse. Now the image of those four horsemen is drawn from Zechariah 1 and Zechariah 6. Those are two books in the Old Testament. 
where in Zechariah 1 and chapter 6, we read about four horses that are going to come, and they're going to come, and they're going to find peace and rest in our world. But that's not what John sees. These four horses that John sees are not about peace. They're not about rest. They're quite the opposite. They're about war and bringing havoc on this earth. John first sees a white horse with its flowing mane ruffled up by the wind. Like a sunny winter day after a snowfall, the sun bounces off this shiny snow-white coat. You're almost blinded by the whiteness of this horse. The white horse lifts its head and it catches the smell of battle and hears the shout of the commanders and the battle cry. The rider on the white horse is carrying a bow, a weapon of war. A bow, unlike a sword, was used for distance. This would be a long-range battle, taking the rider and the horse from place to place to place. With bow in hand, the rider on the white horse goes out as a conqueror, bent on conquest, nothing less. Now, some people, uh, when they read Revelation 6, they identify the rider of the white horse as Jesus himself. And you might think so because Jesus is described in the day of his second coming as coming on a white horse. And yes, one day Jesus will come riding on a white horse on that final day. And on that day, Jesus will come to destroy his enemies. But that's not the picture that John has here in Revelation 6. You need to understand that these four horses are interconnected with the opening of the four seals. These seals reveal God's judgment as God allows human depravity to run its course. These horses are also not demonic forces. They are human forces that God is going to allow to bring havoc on this earth. And here in this white horse with its rider, we see human lust for conquest, for individuals and nations riding out to divide and conquer. We see that in our world today, don't we? The lust for conquest. Just see what's happening today in Russia as the Russian forces invaded Ukraine. Untold devastation has been poured out upon the people of that country. But this is exactly the kind of hostility that we should expect to see. This should not surprise us. Because in the last days before the return of Christ, we're going to see an increase of those people in our world who are going to be bent on conquest, individuals and nations that want to overthrow other nations. That's the white horse. Then John looks and he sees another horse. With the second seal, he sees another horse. This one is a fiery red one. It's paws fiercely into the ground. It paws fiercely into the ground. It's ready to do wage war to carry its rider far into battle. The fiery red horse lifts its head. It catches the smell of battle. He hears the shouts of the commanders and the battle cry. And the color of the horse corresponds to the mission of its rider. The color red stands for bloodshed. And this rider has power to take peace from the earth, to make people go against each other, to make men slay each other, 
To him was given a large sword. (laughs) This was not a battle of long distance, but rather hand-to-hand combat with individuals. And the rider on the red horse goes out to attack individuals to bring them down, to tear them down, to kill and destroy one by one. I mean, each horse that we see here in Revelation 6 represents an aspect of human depravity, and each one leads to the other. And isn't that what happens? Because the lust for conquest turns into civil war, where humans begin to turn against each other, and humanity becomes self-destructive. And we don't have to look far into our world today to see that this is exactly what happens in our world You see the effects of human depravity when it comes to humans who have no respect for each other and they just kill each other. And in the last days before the return of Christ, we're going to see an increase of those kinds of events, of people who are against peace, where people just simply kill each other. Then John is called to look again, and this time when he looks and the third seal is open, he sees another horse, but this time it's a black horse, black as midnight coal, hard to see in the falling darkness. All he can see is the piercing white of the eyes of the horse and its rider, with breath streaming from the nostrils of the black horse. And the black horse lifts its head, it catches the smell of battle, and it hears the shouts of the commanders and the battle cry. A black horse, the color of darkness, of distress, the terror that's going to come before tribulation. In his hand hand, are a pair of scales. These scales represent economic hardship. A voice is heard among the four living creatures, and the voice is heard out. A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. At this rate, How in the world could any person support themselves? How could they support their family to meet their needs? How can people pay, you know, 12 times the average price of food? And when we talk a lot about today, about the rise of prices going up in coals and woolies, I mean, 5% perhaps. Got a text this morning from a friend of ours who is now in the UK and they filled up their car and it cost them $150. But what if prices go up 12 times? What if you went to Woolies tomorrow and the cost of a loaf of bread was $12 or $50? And if you went to pick up a cooked chook for your family, it would cost you $120. The lust for conquest leads to war, and war leads to economic oppression. And all over the world, we see the ravages of that kind of human depravity. We see it in our world today, where we see escalating prices for food, for electricity, for petrol, for rent. I mean, billions of dollars have been spent on war, and every day millions of people today go hungry because they cannot afford to even buy the basic necessities of life. Revelation reminds us in the last days before the return of Christ, we're going to see an increase of those who are going to promote economic hardship. 
especially on the poor majority. And we don't have to look far in our world today where we find that even today people just cannot find enough money to pay their rent. I don't know how many emails we get into our inbox every week of knowing of people who are homeless who have to live in their cars because they cannot even afford to find or even perhaps find a place to rent. They simply have been priced out of the market. The message of Revelation is just reminding us that the closer we get to the return of Christ, we're going to see more and more of this kind of economic oppression. And finally, John sees a gray horse or a pale horse. It's a deadly horse. It's a color of death. It's pale with all the color of life drained out. The fourth seal is open and an ugly horse rides out. John sees it's a symbol of death itself. And like all the other horses, the pale horse lifts its head and it catches the smell of battle and hears the shout of the commander and the battle cry. And its rider has a name and its name is death. And Hades is right behind the place of death, Hades itself. This rider and his horse went out to kill by the sword, by famine and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Yes, death will come. Not only by war, but also by famine and disease and being devoured. And notice, notice the staggering statistics that we read here in Revelation 6. I don't know if you caught that. One quarter of the world will die. One quarter. I mean, there are 7.9 billion people in the world today. Imagine if one quarter of them are destroyed by war, famine, disease, and being devoured. Around 2 billion men, women, and children would die. And that's the message of Revelation. As we come closer to the second coming of Christ, because of human depravity, Death is going to come to billions of people. Yeah, I know we've all gone through the COVID pandemic over the last number of years. That's just a foretaste of the kind of stuff that the world is going to experience into the future. Death is going to come to billions of people. As God allows sin to come around full circle, it will turn in on itself and will self-destruct. Let's encourage you today as you hear this, and it might be alarming to you, but I want you just to be honest and maybe even a bit real today. I mean, the tendency of all of us, human as we are, is to minimize the effects of sinful human behavior in our world today. As we see these four horsemen and these four horses, we must realize that sin actually produces. We need to understand what it actually produces. Sin produces destruction and death. That's what sin does. That's what depravity does. And this doesn't just happen in the Ukraine. I mean, it's happening as close as marriages, families, neighborhoods, even our churches. I mean, sinful pride has a, has a way of demanding its own way. I mean, pride has this attitude. I mean, you are what matters and nobody else. When you're full of pride, you are bent on being in control. What you say to other people makes it very clear. You say, it's my way or it's the highway. 
It happens, doesn't it? It happens on the playgrounds of our schools where children are bullied. It happens in the way children disrespect authority, and we see that in the home and the way that children relate to their parents. We see that in our world today where we see racial injustice, where people, just because they have a different color of skin, somehow other people feel superior. This is the white horse. I mean, you might not carry sticks and stones, swords and bows, but your words can carry a lot of punch. Anger, hatred, harsh words, cursing language, the way you belittle others, the letter you wrote, the words of criticism, condemnation. Often it's not what is said or written. It can even be thought. And each time you think about that person, you see red. And that's the red horse. Like most of us in the West, we spend 80% of the world's wealth and only represent 20% of the world's population. I mean, we like in the West to have things bigger and better, you know, a bigger car, a bigger house, a better computer, a newer house and more comfortable chair. And we can do it. I mean, we have the money and we have the big, big box stores that love to sell it to us. But all the while, we see millions of people all over the world who do not even have a dollar for a slice of bread. My wife, you know, works in three different food banks during the week. And every week, you know, she just sees the hundreds, hundreds of hampers and people that come just because they cannot afford even the food to put on the table. That's the black horse. Whether it's our prideful tendency to be in control or our anger, or our hatred toward others or our selfishness and spending everything on ourselves, what happens in the world because of sin is destruction and death. That's the nature of sin. The sin in your heart, the sin in your life, the sin in the world, it only destroys, it kills, it brings death. And in the last days before the coming of Christ, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Millions, if not billions of people will die, affected by war, disease, famine, and plagues. And so it's no wonder when you look, you know, into this passage in Revelation 6, the cry goes out and the believers cry and they say, God, how long? I mean, how long is this going to keep continuing? Why don't you come back? Oh, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Oh, that was so true in John's day. Because in those days, hundreds if not thousands of Christians were being martyred for their faith. Many had lost everything, and so many even lost their lives just for the sake of Christ. And this cry, how long, goes out as the, Jesus, the Lamb of God, opens up the fifth seal. As that seal is opened, John sees, as depicted in this picture, that there is an altar of souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. These are the saints who had become martyrs for the faith. These Christians who had 
had been slain. You know, they longed for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to come back so when evil would finally be wiped out and all things be made new. When God answered their cry, He responds by giving each one of them a white robe, a white robe to depict their purity and their victory. Yes, the final victory will come. Judgment will come upon the earth. And as John continues to look between verses seven or 12 and 17, John witnesses the shaking of the heavens and the earth. All the earth is united in fear because they know that God's wrath is going to be poured out on this earth. But these martyrs are also told that they must wait a little longer. They must be patient. The time is not yet. And you and I as believers today, we must be patient because the time is not yet. More believers will be persecuted. More will die for their faith. The four horsemen will continue to bring havoc and death on the earth. Human depravity will cause the world to self-destruct. But the end will come. One day, the great day of God's wrath will come, and, and that will be the day of final judgment. And Jesus will mount that white horse, and he will bring judgment on all God's enemies. But the final day of wrath has not yet come, and we must wait a little longer. And as we wait, I mean, you, we, you know, we, we might think that God is slow in coming, but, but remember what we read in 1 Peter 3. You know, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. Yeah, God promised He's coming back. He's going to make all things new. And as we wait, we need to remember that God is patient with you. He's patient with this world because God doesn't want anyone to perish, but He wants everybody to come to repentance. That's God's desire. In our world today, God desires all people to come to faith, to repent from their sin and follow Him. See, that's God's desire. He desires that the world repent from sin and rebellion. God is not just sitting and waiting. He's actively moving in this world to move about repentance. Notice what happens when He opens up the final sixth seal that we're going to look at today. As that seal is open, we see devastation that's going to happen on the earth. I mean, people are going to experience the judgment of God, and God is going to allow that judgment to come on this earth. The heavens and earth will be shaken. There will be catastrophic earthquakes. The sun will turn black. The moon will turn into blood. Stars will fall from the sky. Mountains will shake. Islands will disappear. The judgment of God on the earth will result in everybody on earth becoming afraid. And that becomes clear as you look at verses 15 and 16. Because in the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man, I mean, in other words, everybody on earth, they're going to see the devastation that's happening on this world, and they're going to be filled with fear. So much so as they hide in caves and they hide among the rocks of the mountains and they call out to the mountains and the rocks and they say, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. 
Everyone on the earth is going to recognize that the God is bringing judgment on this earth and they want to be protected. So the question remains, on that day, who will stand? Will you be standing? Can you stand? Are you being true to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus? And that's how John begins the book to Revelation. The mark of a true follower of Jesus is someone who holds on to the Word of God and never stops witnessing and testifying about Jesus. That's the mark of a true believer. Are you willing to persevere and to be faithful to Jesus even in the midst of persecution? What will it take for our world to repent of sin and follow Jesus in total surrender? And maybe you're asking yourself that question this morning. What will it take for me to fully repent of my sin and totally surrender my life to Jesus? Today is Mother's Day. Thought of that as I was driving up here because seven years ago I, I stood beside the gray side of my mother. I had just come away from a week of synodical meetings and, and the last thing my, I had, my last conversation I had with mom, she lived in Canada and that was on a Friday afternoon after all the synod proceedings were over and I had one final conversation with her because the next day she entered into the hospital and that final evening she died. Mom was a godly woman. I loved her. She taught me so much about what God is all about. She passed on that faith to me, and I, I cherish that. Wonderful gift my mom gave. But you know, not everyone in my family followed the faith that my mom had and followed Jesus. They were not true to the Word of God or the testimony of Jesus. I was really concerned about my youngest sister because I knew that she wasn't following the Lord, and she didn't believe what the Bible had to say. And I remember standing around the graveside, and I'm doing the committal service, and, and I'm sharing some things about my mom's faith and her life and, and how my mom would just continually just want us to also walk in the newness of life that she had. My mom didn't have it tough in life, did not have it easy in life. I mean, she had a really tough life. She suffered a lot. Not only debilitating illness, but also a, a husband that, you know, was not good for her, did not treat her well. But my mom was steadfast in her faith, right to the end. You know, and, and, and as I, I, I drew that committal service into the end, I, I just directed that, that they would just allow, begin to lower the casket into the ground. And as they were doing that, my, my youngest sister, she started to wail and scream and cry out. I mean, I think anyone could have heard her right across the whole cemetery grounds. And she wailed and screamed. And that was the moment of her conversion. It took my mom's death for her to put her faith in God and to repent of her sin. And today my sister is walking ever so close to the Lord, being true to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And I've seen a complete transformation of her life. But it took my mother's death. What will it take you?
What will it take you to repent? What will it take our world to repent and turn to Jesus? What will it take for our neighbors around us here in Wishart to just quit motoring around on a Sunday morning and instead come into this place and to put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone? What will it take? World War III? Total famine? Buying a chook for $120 at Woolies? Death? One quarter of the world's population to die? See, God is allowing all of these things to happen in this world for one reason and one reason alone. He's allowing human depravity to run its course because God's desire is that people will turn to Him in fear and to put their trust in Him and Him alone. What would God need to allow to happen in this world for us as human beings to get serious about repentance? Of saying no to sin and saying yes to Jesus. What would God need to allow in your life to happen for you to get serious about following Jesus? And on that final day, when Jesus returns, will you be standing? Will you stand? Let us pray. Father, these are um, quite alarming words, but yet they're so full of comfort because we know when we look around our world today with all of its havoc and all of its depravity, we realize that we're ever getting closer to that day when Jesus Christ will come again. And Lord, I pray for each one of us who are gathered in this room today. Lord, may we be counted among those who are standing on that day, having repented of sin and have put in our full trust in what you, Jesus Christ, have done for us on the cross. And Lord, guide us and help us to take this word that we have heard today and to pass it on to other people so that they too may come to that place of repentance and faith in Jesus and also on that final day be found standing. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, the coming King. Amen.